It's another round of Smoke Signals. I am Justin Latta and joined again by Willie Hood, and we're going to discuss the five-round, well, okay, seven-round, if you count the two comp rounds, I guess, technically, seven-round MLB draft. Willie, thanks for joining me once again. Thanks for having me again, Justin. All right, well, we won't cut anybody short on our content. We don't do that here at smoke signals. Never. <laughs> so, um, there is no be draft news. It is going to be five rounds. Um, there is two comp rounds, obviously, as I mentioned, but it's going to be five rounds. And I believe it's going to be June 10th and June 11th. Both days will be on ESPN on, yeah, on ESPN. Yeah. Right. ESPN would never do that. That'd be crazy. Uh, or basically baseball wouldn't ask them to do that. Uh, it's going to be on MLB network both days going to be over teleconference instead of in person, which only the first day was in person in the past. So not a ton different, but uh, we have a date. We have rounds and we have money confirmation. So we do have a draft in place. We know when it's going to be. So how does that affect the Indians, Willie? Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways the Indians can go with this draft. First of all, I want to say, you know, that they're going to end up with uh, $7,662,800 to spend on this draft. Now, if they go over, you get another uh, $383,140. That's 5% over, um, which is going over the max, which puts them just above $8 million. Now, frankly, there's a lot of uh, discussion going on whether the Indians will go over uh, their pool space. Will they even spend all of their uh, pool? <laughs> if they'll even spend all of their pool space. Sorry about that. My brain is freezing up on me. Um, but I, I think really to put everything into perspective, we got to back up for a minute and, and kind of go back to what Kylie McDaniel said earlier this week. And he talked about there being potentially 12 teams only spending 7%, 70% of their um, pool space. Um, now, what Kylie is, is laying out is he's saying that teams are going to offer college juniors um, under slot deals at 70% of whatever the slot is. So if it's $2 million, they're going to offer 70% of that and kind of give them a, a take it or leave it. And, and what Kylie's saying is that these clubs are going to do this through the first two rounds and then push the uh, higher caliber prep players with big salary demands to the third round. And part of the reason that they're doing that is they're going to get savings on these uh, college juniors if they agree to these 70% cuts. And if the guys uh, are in a take-it-and-leave-it position, they're probably going to take it more times than not with all the uncertainty with the draft this year, but also next year, considering that a lot of guys could potentially go back. I think that they could really um, leverage some guys into taking a lot lower contract than they should or normally even would. Um, but we know Major League Baseball teams never take advantage of a, a situation um, and never try to um, beat players out of money. That, that yeah. never happens. Um, also, Kylie McDaniel shared a um, another rumor about the Dodgers, which I think is awful interesting. 
Now, McDaniels, McDaniel says that the Dodgers are considering going beyond their pool, so just blowing out their pool space. Now, the Dodgers have seven draft picks this year, and that is more than any other club. Uh, the Indians will end up having six, but the Dodgers will be in a position that if they do blow out their pool space, they will potentially get seven, let's say they get seven first round or second round talents all through the draft, pay them big money, whatever it takes to get them. And then next year they lose their draft pick in the first round. And, you know, all they've done is really advance the talent and put it in the system this year. If they lose, let's say the 29th pick in next year's draft or the, the, uh, 2022 draft they lose the 28th or 29th pick there too because the Dodgers are going to be a really good team so that's an interesting strategy that the Dodgers are reportedly considering now whether they do it or not we'll see I tend to think they probably won't because they're going to want that talent and flexibility over the next two years but you you never really know and with the uh, potential for teams to consider like uh, outside the box type thinking are some teams going to potentially try to punt draft picks intentionally to save money this year? That is probably on the table for some teams. Uh, saving the $100,000 bonus that the guys would get if they sign uh, will pay a few staffers for a few more months. So let's say baseball doesn't get started back until July, like uh, the current talks are going. You know, it may mean some of the guys in the front office continue to get paid. And, you know, when it comes down to it, some of these guys may be concerned about their jobs and their livelihood. They may be uh, concerned about being furloughed. So they may lowball some some guys to send them to school and kind of protect their own job at the same time. Now, I've had several people ask me what I think the Indians draft strategy will be. And, and really, I think you have to look at history to predict future. I I said that in our previous podcast, you have to look at previous behavior to predict future behavior or even current behavior. So what the Indians have done in the past is what they're likely to do in this scenario. Uh, We're assuming money is tight for the Indians, but I I also assume that the Indians have saved money because they wanted to keep Francisco Lindor. Now, I don't want to get down that rabbit trail and, and talk about that, but that may be the bridge to stability for the tribe having additional savings set back that, you know, otherwise wouldn't have been there. Uh, they may have a lot of debt money to lend, or they may have taken that money another route. Now, I'm assuming that, that this is true, and based on Keith Law's comments uh, a week or so ago, it sounds like the Indians have potentially set aside some money to, to keep Lindor in town. So when that affects the, or how does that affect the draft strategy? So... Really, with six picks, you're going to pay $600,000 this year because of the deferrals. Players are going to receive $100,000 of whatever they signed for this year. The remaining balance is going to be split in two payments, 50% of whatever the remaining balance is. The players will get the the 50% next year in 2021, and then the remaining 50% in 2022. So are the Indians concerned about reducing payroll, reducing spending on uh, amateur talent and and the inflow of amateur talent? I I don't know. I do know this. It would be kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face for the Indians because they really depend upon the draft and the talent that they bring in. And in fact, I have said that I think the teams that are hurt the most 
in all of this are the small market teams who depend upon drafting and developing players. Now consider a guy like James Karinchek was drafted in the ninth round a few years ago. Zach Plesak, he was injured. He went in the 12th round. Kyle Nelson, a reliever that could help the team as soon as this year, 14th round. You know, and the, and the list just goes on and on of guys that were later rounds or wasn't exactly top round talent um, that will help the team. I mean, Shane Bieber was a fourth round draft pick. In this scenario, would he even be drafted? You know, there's there's a lot of a lot of questions. And, and to me, the Indians would prioritize bringing in the amateur talent, um, but they're also probably going to look for a safety net if they do. So if they're going to spend this money, they're going to want some assured. Um, they're they're going to want assured that they're going to get something out of what they do spend. So you may see them turn a little bit more toward college talent. And, and this draft is really deep in college talent. So with the college talent, you're going to get guys probably lo uh, at lower um, signing bonuses than you would get the, the prep players. And you got a guy that you're going to get a quicker uh, turnaround on. You know, there's a lot of different ways that they could go with this. Now, I said I have to look at previous behavior to predict future behavior. So when I look at that and I look what the Indians have done in the last few years, you know, they've been very prep heavy in the first halves of the draft. In um, 2018, they had about $3.8 million to spend. Your first two picks right away. Well, actually, your first three picks are all prep players. Quentin Holmes, uh, Tyler Freeman, and then Jonathan Rodriguez. Then they turned to going with uh, the college players in the next few picks. But, you know, when you look at the Indians' emphasis and, and what their model brings out, they put a, a high emphasis on youth, on athleticism, on pitchability, on cold weather guys. There's a lot of different factors that key in to what the Indians do and um, that really – that really, <laughs> sorry about that. My son is knocking on the door. He wants it. He doesn't understand that's in the middle of something. Um, my, uh, my son's autistic, so uh, pardon the interruption there. He's used to coming in and playing in this room that I'm using right now. So dad's in here playing right now, and he can't come in. Um, but, but as I was saying, the Indians really use a lot of different uh, things that they key in on. Uh, as I talked about hitting ability, guys pitching ability, um, guys that get on base a lot, you know, the, the younger athletic guys that they really focus in on, the middle of the diamond players, I, I think they're going to be true to their draft. Uh, I would not be surprised, you know, if they maybe alter it a little bit, but I, I do think that they're going to emphasize some prep guys that they really like. And when it comes down to a prep guy or a college guy, they may go that way. And, and we may not see them spend their entire uh, draft pool um, this year because usually they spread a little bit of that out to guys that come on later on. Like, for instance, last year they signed uh, um, Jordan Brown for uh, $230,000, and, and I think his slot was two fifty. They ended up saving $20,000 on him, but they went over slot on guys up above him um, like Christian Cairo. And, and they went over slot on William Bartlett 
by I think a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um, so you know they they had more picks last year to play with. This year they don't. So you may not see them. You may not see them really do that. Um, but I really think that they're going to probably stay with their status quo. We know that they like the the, the prep players, um, but they won't have players to float uh, so much. And there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of various factors that that affects what the Indians do. What are other teams doing? You know, does somebody take a college senior early in the draft to push a prep player down that they want to get later? Uh, kind of like Matt Allen last year that didn't go until I think the third round. Uh, and ended up getting paid the same amount of money as uh, Daniel Espino did in the first round. And, and the, to make that happen, the Mets drafted all college uh, seniors after that. Um, you know, the Indians could do that. They could pick up a, a senior player. Last year they did in the 10th round. They drafted uh, Zach Hart and, you know, signed him for $5,000. The Indians potentially – come in and with the undrafted free agents, which is something that we haven't even talked about here. Um, the undrafted free agent period is going to start on February the 14th at 9 a.m. And all the players that are not drafted can only sign for $20,000. So you're going to have a lot of teams recruiting for you, recruiting these undrafted players. So let's say the Indians say uh, in round five, hey, we want whoever it is, Brett, Brett Auerbach, uh, third baseman catcher that plays for Alabama, they offer him $50,000 in round five to sign, or they may try to sign him in round three or four, even to, to push a couple of guys down later that they want to offer over slot in rounds four and four and five. There's a lot that could really happen here. I think we could see a few more college guys for the Indians. Um, But when you consider there's only six picks, it's not really a lot. I'm going to guess that we end up with probably uh, two prep players and then the other four will probably end up being college guys. Yeah, I could see them going more college heavy, like you said, just for the fact that there's maybe a little more certainty in the return um, and lower costs as well without a lot of leverage. You could see a lot of high school or JUCO kids um, continue their college careers uh, in the next year, the next two years, and see how things play out from there. Because, you know, next year's draft is going to be a little bit different too, although I, I don't think it'll be as short. But the money, you know, there could be changes to the the financial aspects of the draft next year too. So it's a big risk for everybody, uh, especially if you're a player. It's unfortunate, you know, they're draft players because they have no voice, lose even more leverage than they didn't have to begin with. But yeah, I think the strategy is going to be interesting. I would not be surprised to see the Indians go heavier on college. What they have, what a total of seven picks in this year's draft, six. Six. So I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if they wind up, you know, going for college and two prep, just because, like you said, the certainty and how they decide to spend the money on it, and the other aspect of that too is, you know, I, I saw a part of the draft agreement was teams are not supposed to have any contact with undrafted free agents until after a certain period of time after the draft is over. Um, and obviously we know that doesn't happen in baseball ever. Teams never negotiate with players before they're allowed, you know, like the international. Yeah, signing. No, either. no inter- the international signing period, never teams, never talk to international free agents before they're allowed to have an agreement with them. That never happens. So, you know, it won't happen in the draft, of course. So, 
that's going to be interesting to see what teams go out and, uh, you know, make deals with undrafted free agents. Uh, they aren't allowed to go over 20,000, but we'll see who has an agreement with who and um, what teams. I don't know. They're probably not going to police that too heavily, I would guess, because, you know, it's a weird year and teams get away with this stuff already as it is in the international market. So I really don't think we'll see a lot of policing that. But I will be interested to see and, and their how how the age and experience level of their the draft picks do skew the 70% thing is really interesting to me too, because I don't really know if there's a ton of benefit to that. Like if it were me, if I really liked my picks, I would go over slot this year and forfeit the pick next year. Um, it, you know, it really depends on who you pick and, and if you want those guys and how the draft plays out, I would not be opposed to giving up. I mean, the, the Indians won't do it. We know the Indians never, <clears throat> almost never give up picks. So I, I'd be really stunned if they went over their went over their uh, draft limit, the draft pool to sacrifice a pick for next year. Um, but I, I think if a team could do that, they for sure, you know, could consider it if they like their draft enough. Um, Cause next year, you know, is, is going to be even more uncertain. I would, you know, we don't know what next year is going to look like. And this was supposed to be a great draft class. So that makes things a lot more interesting. I don't really know why a team wouldn't spend all their draft capital, like, unless you said, like you said, the the fact that it might keep them making payroll or comfortable making payroll for the next month or something while things are still getting figured out. Um, that could be, you know, a factor in it as, as well, I suppose. But I, I really will be interested to see and <clears throat> how those get um, – played out from the Indians standpoint. I, I would imagine the Indians will probably use hundred percent of their draft pool, given the, how they've done in the past. Um, the fact that they may or may not have money sitting aside, hoping they were going to give it to Lindor um, to use. I don't think makes a big difference in their draft strategy, to be honest. Cause I think I really do think they'll probably spend close to hundred percent on it. So I don't know if it's going to make a difference. Not like I said, I don't think they'll go over, over, over their pool and worry about it that much, but um, we'll see because I think it, it looks like, you know, based on the mock drafts that are out there, it looks like they're kind of, I mean, we, we do know the Indians preference for young for the class pitchers or hitters. Um, and then they're like, you know, advanced college pitchers who also may be young for the class, but are strike throwers and have, you know, performed well in the Cape Cod league in the past. <clears throat> That's been something they've targeted as well. So, the draft, the mock drafts that are out there have been all over the place for the Indians though, in terms of who they've gotten. So um, for anybody who may not have a chance to read the publications or have not read your mock draft, um, the mock drafts, your draft, first mock draft is coming out. Oh, is your second one coming out this week or is it a, uh, I should the first one. Well, the, the first one was actually the prospects live mock draft. Right. And then that one was for that website. Um, now, now, the one for for IBI um, is going to be between me and Jared, and and Jared and I participated in the Prospects Live one. So the uh, I think the the Indians uh, Baseball Insider one that Jared and I did together, uh, I'll say it has some changes in it um, from what the Indians get. I won't uh, I won't say who, but uh, there's a familiar name in there, and then there's a new player 
that emerges in, in one of the picks as well. Um, so I, I will suggest watch for that. I think that's going to be out tomorrow or Tuesday of this week. And, you know, when you look around all of the mock drafts, I, I've looked at several and I have subscriptions to, to uh, several of these baseball sites. So Baseball America has mocked a, um, a familiar name to, uh, to those who saw the Prospects Live draft, uh, Tyler Soderstrom, who Jared and I uh, selected as the representatives for IBI. Um, Baseball America mocked Tyler Soderstrom to the Indians there. And I could see that. Um, I really like Soderstrom's bat. I know that you have some concerns there. I, I think there's an above average bat with above average to, to plus potential uh, for the, uh, I was going to say power tool. It makes it sound like a drill. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do think his pop could be above average to plus. Um, really, I think he's athletic enough to convert either to third base or right field should catcher not work out for him. Um, you know, I'm trying to be a little forward thinking with a guy like that too, though, is when you consider the fact that robo umps are probably going to be put in, uh, in place in the next few years. Well, let me back up and say this here. Now, what idea has Rob Manfred had that he hasn't forced through or implemented almost immediately? So he likes robo umps. He wants those in there. We can might, we, we might as well just go ahead and, and accept the fact that we're going to have robotic umpires in the next few years. Um, what all of that looks like is to be determined, but if Rob wants it, Rob gets it. Uh, you know, going to Keith Law's mock, he has the Indians taking Mick Abel, a pitcher from Oregon, and uh, Abel is older than what the Indians would normally do there, but he'd also be, in my book, the top prep arm in the draft class. And the thing is, is he has not uh, pitched this year uh, because he never got to see the mound because of the coronavirus in, in the shutdown out in Oregon. Um, he pitched for Team USA, was impressive, six foot five, one ninety. He he reaches mid upper nineties. Uh, has recently posted video of of himself hitting ninety nine. Um, you know, I I question teams letting a guy like that slide. You know, he's front of the rotation potential there. Um, average to above average control. So I mean. There's a lot to work with with him. Very polished uh, prep pitcher. Looking at uh, Kylie McDaniel's mock draft, he's got the Indians taking one familiar name and then, then somebody else that uh, you mentioned in our previous podcast, which is Dylan Dingler. Dylan Dingler, uh, obviously he's the uh, catcher from Ohio State. Got a plus arm, a lot of tools. I like him. Um, I probably am not going to pay him slot if the Indians take him 23rd overall. He's a guy I'm trying to get under slot that early. Um, he's going to, he, he's from Ohio. I mean, I think it would be great to, to reach the Ohio state fan base that way. But, but the fact that I think he's going to be a quality player now, I'm not saying he's going to be a great player, but he sure has a lot of tools to work with. He's a guy that converted from playing center field back to playing catcher. He's six three two twenty. Uh, plus arm has above average speed. The hit tool is probably just average, but I think that there's uh, more to come from the power department with him. He had a hammock injury and didn't really get to, to show what he could do last year. This year before he was shut down, he'd already exceeded his career numbers with uh, extra base hits and home runs. 
So to me, that's pretty impressive that he did that in a short sample, and it, it kind of shows the maturation of a player to me. Um, so Kylie McDaniels has the Indians going, Dylan Dingler, and then Jordan Walker, who was also our selection uh, for for IBI. Um, Jared and I took took Jordan Walker at 36. And Walker is a bat that I absolutely love. I would be happy with if the Indians took him at 23. Um, from from my discussions with Jared, Jared seems to feel the same way. Uh, Walker hits 93 from the mound. He pitches a little bit, can throw 92, 93 from third base to first. Runs a 6-5-6, 60-yard six, dash, which is a 65 on the scouting scale. Now, I'm going to say he's more of an average runner than that. He, he's not really that... But his bat improved, and it, he really showed up in like the uh, the perfect game uh, series or the or the perfect game game. He looked pretty impressive against some of the top notch talent around the country. He's 18 years old. The Duke commit, and mom and dad are graduates of MIT and and Harvard. So I mean, uh, he comes from good stock. I'll put it that way. And he's a very intelligent kid. If you see him playing on the field, he's got a smile on his face all of the time, and that's something that I like. It tells me a little bit about a player. Uh, enjoying the game and when you know they enjoy the game they want to be there it's not work to to put in work so to speak um mlb.com jim callis did this mock and he had the indians taking dylan dingler as well so that that's all of the um recent mocks uh you hear some familiar names here soderstrom twice walker twice and dylan dingler twice so maybe these are some guys that are uh, gonna get to, some consideration when it comes time for the Indians to come on the clock at, at 23 and even uh, pick 36. Yeah. I'm really interested that the Keith law had Mick Abel go in there, but he also had um, them interested in college. I think he has a good tendency to know a good beat on how the Indian, what the Indians are looking for. Cause I think when he does his mocks, he's kind of looking out towards um, reaching out towards a lot of people in the industry to see, what what teams are leaning towards or what they're hearing. Not that, you know, Kyle McDaniel or anybody else doesn't, but I think they go more based on past strategy, which a lot of people do, and that's fine. But I do tend to think Keith Law relies a lot on sources more than tendency, what he hears teams are thinking and what they're doing and what their board might look like. So that's interesting to think about. And I could be wrong on that, but I, I think in the past, that's kind of how he's described some of his writing. So um, I am I'll, I'll throw this out there. Um, Jim Callis last year mentioned Daniel Espino as somebody the Indians were looking at. Uh, and even the year before that, when they took um, Bo Naylor and Ethan Hankins, he mentioned them as guys that they were looking at. But I think he ultimately went the college route. Um, you know, as we've said already, that the Indians could end up going the college route this year. They've, they've considered guys like Steel Walker a, a few years ago, Michael Bush and, and Cody uh, Hosts both drafted by the Dodgers last year were guys that the Indians scouted or were reportedly linked to anyways. I, I don't have confirmation myself. So, um, but the rumor, the rumor is that these are guys that they, um, that they sought after and looked at really closely last year before ultimately going prep. Maybe this year they lean back that college way because it's a safer and they, and they fall back under, um, you know, the, the pool allotments and their, uh, total bonus pool and leverage yeah for sure it's gonna be interesting without a doubt i mean the, there's a lot of ways they can go it's supposed to be a good draft and just going through that mock draft process with uh prospects live was really good i thought just to see how everybody else 
was thinking about the team they were representing was going to do. And I assume a lot of people who uh, participate in that kind of have the same strategy that, that you guys did going in, which is going off of what they thought teams would do versus what they would do. Um, so maybe that gives you a decent indication if everyone's studying uh, past drafts. I would, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if they went college in the first round and then decided to go prep in the, with their comp pick just to like they have in the past. Um, or they've, you know, they've passed up a guy in round one and, and um, you know, a Dylan Dingler might require less of a, a signing bonus than um, Tyler Soderstrom or a, uh, or Jordan Walker. So maybe they go with Dingle in the first round and then go with Walker or uh, uh, someone in the second round or the comp round because they can overspend on him in the second round and uh, go under slot in the first round on a college guy, which is typically a lot, what a lot of teams do and the Indians have done that as well. So um, that's why I think probably Dingler makes more sense, especially, I mean, I guess you don't really draft, you don't draft for knee and you don't draft for any specific position. So, I don't think it makes a difference that Soderstrom and Naylor are both prep catchers and that would have been their last two first round picks. Um, you know, but it is something I do think about, you know, going and, 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 you know, it's highly possible that neither of those guys catches in the future. We don't know. Cause like you said, um, Soderstrom can play elsewhere. Naylor can play elsewhere. So there's no guarantee there, but it is interesting to think that if they end up going with prep backstops in the first round, back to back years, um, would just look very odd, I guess. Not odd, but it would just look very interesting in their strategy and how they've decided to go after prep players. Yeah, I, I think Sarsham could easily go out to right field. He's an average runner. He's got a plus arm. Uh, you know, you got guys who are a lot slower playing in the corner outfield right now, so I, I don't think there's any problem with him. He's an athletic guy, too. Um I, I've heard some people say the swing reminds him of Nolan, uh, Nolan Jones, which to me is a pretty good comp, um, an advanced bet. So if they did something like that, you know, I think they're taking best player on the board and going to work all of that out later on. You know, who's to say that one of the two of them doesn't end up traded, one of them doesn't end up at, at an alternate position? Right. What if uh, Naylor ends up with a knee injury, you know, in, in a year or two and it ends up moving to second base or third base even, you know? Um, so there's possibilities. I, I think they'll hold true to their board, and it'll it'll be um, a little bit different this year because of the shorter draft. Uh, you don't have as much as much um, room to work around and and kind of go under slot here or there. With only six picks, you're you're going to have to get something established. So if they go Dingler, or let's say instead of Dingler, let's use a couple of arms: Tanner Burns, <laughs> um, Bobby Miller, uh, Carmen Majinski. Um, have fun writing that one up, Justin. Nope. You're writing all you're writing all his stuff. I'm if they go that route, you're writing everything about him. We'll, we'll call him the magic man. I was okay. that close enough for me. Um, um I, I could see them going with somebody like Chris McMahon that I like, uh, from the University of Miami. He's uh, athletic. Um uh, he's a, a cold weather arm that uh you know, has above average command and control. So, you know, you factor those in, you factor in his, uh, his changeup and, and his fastball that sits mid nineties and touches upper nineties. You know, I, when, when I look back 
at all of the guys that I've mentioned there, Bobby Miller is the one that strikes me as having the most upside. Instead of going college arm, maybe they go with a prep arm there. What if they uh, snag a, a Mason Wynn, uh, who's kind of a second round talent to me? Um, maybe they come with a, an Alex Santos there, or even at pick 36, uh, another guy that comes to mind is Carson Montgomery. Um, a young for the class, Florida prep arm. You know, he's, I think he's going to be 17.9. So he's a, a few months before he turns 18. Um, they like those Florida, Texas, uh, California type prep arms because they get a lot of play. They get in a lot of uh, extra development. Maybe they come in and snag uh, Arizona shortstop. Um, Carson Tucker, the brother of Cole Tucker, you know, they could go there and then maybe go under slot with them or any of those guys there potentially, and then come back for a guy who's expected to get more like a, a Dylan Cruz or uh, a Jordan Walker, guys that are supposed to be hard signs and, and that may require quite a bit of money. You know, it wasn't long ago that the Indians paid $2.5 million to Will Benson, who was reportedly asking for uh, $4 million. And, uh, you know, Ethan Hankins got $2.25 million, and he was reportedly asking for $3 million. Maybe... Maybe Nick uh, Bitsko slides to them. And, and the rumors I heard on him and, and uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, both of them want uh, about 3.5 or $4 million a piece. Well, if that's the numbers that are floating out right now, what if you draft them and say, hey, we'll give you 2.5 million or we'll just take a comp pick later, you know, next year. Right. I, I, think, the, I think the Indians may be more willing to do that this year because of the scenario. You know, I mean, the guys aren't going to play anyways. You also have other things to factor in too. So let's let's use the Indians' model, for example, of uh, the players that they uh, draft, the draft philosophy, whatever you want to call it. Um, what about a couple of guys who are injured that could slide to them in, in some of these picks? They're not going to play this year. They're more likely to sign for less money than their peers. So why not snag them and pay them less, even though they're as talented or more talented some of, than some of the guys around them? I'm thinking of JT, JT uh, again, Dax Fulton, the, the big lefty from Oklahoma. Uh, Fulton, 6'6", uh, 220 already, throws low mid-90s, uh, a little bit older than what the Indians would normally do, but he was a top 15 arm before he got injured. I mean, he could be a guy that slides to them, and they say, hey, we'll take the risk on him uh, because, of, because of the model you know, and, and the price. So if you, if you factor in the price potential with what's going on, you know, I, I think that there's possibility that they look at one of these injured guys even. Um, shortstop Freddie Zamora, uh, there's been some questions about his work ethic on the field, uh, how hard he's going to be working. He ended up suspended for a little while and then ended up with a, an ACL injury. If he falls to the second or third round, do you go slot or over slot to get a guy like that? Uh, he is a, a great defender. He has plus to plus plus glove. So, I mean – a guy like that, you might want to take a risk on later on, you know, but their model may lift some of these guys up because of their price where they wouldn't, where they would normally be able to get more because of injuries, they're going to get less. So maybe, maybe there's some, um, I don't know, some rocks to turn over for the Indians there and, and maybe uh, some outside the box thinking they, they took a risk and drafted uh, Freddie Aiken and um, that didn't, work out yet for them yet you know anyways and they took a risk on zach plesak uh trey benton last year a kid from east carolina that they, that they drafted and i think in the 14th round 
he was a guy that had like mid-round talent last year. Uh, had to have Tommy John surgery and now is working his way back. You know, they, they're not shy about taking some guys that are injured, but will they do that with only six picks this year? I don't know, but there's a good chance that these guys aren't even seeing the field this, this season anyway. So why not uh, consider it at the very least? Yeah, J, I mean, JT Gid is a guy who had, for those who don't know, had Tommy John. I'm not sure if you mentioned that or not, but he had Tommy John um, in his arm that has been drafted before. I believe the Dodgers took him previously. JT again, is that right? Yes. So he's already been looked at and, and didn't sign. So the Indians do have some leverage there. Um, and they, like you said, they've shown a willingness to do that in the past. So maybe there's a, there's a route there that saves them some money and also gets them a college arm that may drop that they like. Um, I wouldn't discount that for sure. Um, even though, like you said, it's kind of a, it's an interesting year to take that risk. Um, it, you know, it was supposed to be a good class and, with less picks, if you if that one doesn't work out in your favor, taking that risk, uh, with less picks, you end up having a a trickier road to navigate with this draft class, I guess. So that's that's a big risk. But like you said, maybe yeah, maybe they maybe they take a chance on one of their picks, and then if they don't sign, you know, they come back with an extra pick next year um, based on that comp pick. So that's always a way to go too. But I don't know. If I'm the Indians, I'm probably guessing they'll they'll end up with six guys they know they're going to sign. I don't think with how important the draft is to them. I mean, yeah, like you're right that if they don't sign a certain guy in the first in the protected picks, they'll get that pick back next year. Um, but they tend to go after guys they know they can sign. They really haven't had a ton of issues signing guys. I'm trying to think the last time they didn't really reach an agreement with a high guy, and it would have been. Ross Cavett. Yeah, I was just going to say Ross Cavett, who was, uh, I want to say, North Royalton kid who uh, went to Kansas and then ended up getting drafted by the Tigers. But, you know, he's out of baseball now, too. So that worked out interesting for them. But that, that's the last guy I can think of that was a high pick where we were sitting there thinking, well, where is, is he going to sign? And he didn't sign. But that was the last I could think of that uh, happening. I know there was a. That was a guy they picked last year, and I had to ask Jared because Jared and I had conversations about him, and he didn't sign, but he said he really wanted the Indians to sign, and of course they didn't, but I think he was like a a 25th-round pick or something, whatever it was. Oh, uh, Armani Sanchez. I, I don't think that was the name. I think I would know the name if I, if I looked it up. I'm not looking at it right now, but uh, <laughs> I'd have to ask Jared. But there was a kid last year that he I know he wanted them to sign, and it was a late pick, and that that's another interesting thing to bring up too is now in in this model you start looking at redraft because the Indians in the past have gone back to that well they've gone back and um, taken guys a second time I think uh, Cody Allen comes to mind they drafted Cody Allen twice um, Justin Garza I think they've drafted twice so that's something that's a place they've gone in the past so that's something also to think about I don't know what guys would shoot up the draft board. Um, but that's also considering of guys who they might have they might have a chance to sign as well and then undrafted free agency. So that's something to look at and, and guys they've taken in the past and where those guys might end up. Yeah, they seem to get one or two of those every year. Um, now there's two up at the top of the draft. I wouldn't mind getting Austin Martin and uh, Asa Asa Lacy. I really like Lacy, but uh, no chance either one of them get to the Indians. No. Obviously, both those guys are top five picks. Um, I would love to see the Indians redraft them, though. But uh, that could be a route that they go in the fifth round or or maybe even the fourth round, um, a senior-type guy or 
or a guy that they um, have drafted before and they, that they really want, they've already established a relationship with them. Maybe they can get them a little under slot and help them get somebody else above them or, or even come back and spend a little bit extra on the last pick, you know, um, a lot of ways that this can play out and it's going to be unpredictable. It's going to be fun. Uh, I'm glad that they are going to air the second round and all of that on MLB network. Um, it's not what I wanted. You know, I, I was hoping for at least 10 rounds. I would have preferred 40. Um, I think 20 is reasonable, but you know, Hey, I'm not in charge of any of that. Um, I, I understand that it, the uncertainty from every aspect of this. Um, I I just want to see the Indians come away with a hall of talent on draft day and uh, be able to have a, a level playing field in the um, undrafted free agents as well. And that's something that um, I'll say I have a few concerns with because it seems like some teams may have some advantages, um, namely like the Yankees, the, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, those uh, history, um, historic franchises that guys may like for various reasons. Um, maybe a little uh, shady stuff going on in the background too. Um, what? I, I don't know, but you know, I, just call me suspicious. I don't know. I'm sh- I'm sure Major League Baseball is going to be very careful about how that's handled. I'm sure they would not let that uh-huh. go. Wouldn't let that go unchecked. And we know how things played out the last times the Indians complained about cheating. Oh, yeah. It took a few years. So <laughs> so what, in three years from now, is it going to be where some of these teams are negotiating with players before they're supposed to be or offering more money than they're supposed to be allowed? And then, you know, was it the Braves? The Braves had to release Kevin Maton and um, yeah, some other problems. Lost their international class, and they're still under penalty or have been under penalties for a few more years after that. Even. Yeah. Um, I, I think... yeah I, it wouldn't surprise me in a few years from now we start seeing that, but uh, for this year, I don't think, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Major League Baseball will keep a close eye on all this. I'm sure. <laughs> well, well I, I just want to um, encourage folks to check out the draft content that's coming. There'll be some write-ups to, to check out uh, coming out this week. We've got a new mock draft as well, and there'll, there'll be a few more. We'll have, I'd say, at least two to three more and, and possibly one the week of the draft as well. Uh, I'm going to key in on some players that I think that the Indians will potentially target what I call Indians types, and what I mean by that is they fit the Indians draft model. Watch for those pieces in the next few weeks, especially as the draft gets near. I'm going to have some of those pieces out Uh Consider that, and, and as always, give us a listen here. Yes, definitely keep listening to the podcast. Like I said before, if you uh, if you're listening and you like what you're hearing, you know, make sure you give us a five star review on iTunes, uh, so more people can hear about smoke signals and uh, can subscribe. Tell your friends if they want to know more about the MLB draft. Um, I have a feeling we are going to be one of the only outlets. Uh, that covers the Indians that is going to be diving as deep on the draft as anybody, as far as the Indians are concerned. So if you're really interested in that, um, this is definitely the place to listen and read. Um, If you do want to read more draft content, uh, we do encourage you, if you have the means to do so, to sign up for an insider subscription at IndiansBaseballInsider.com. It's $4.99 a month. All draft content, all the top 50 prospects we already did this year. Um, The cutting room floor, which is 10 guys just missed the top 50. 
um, Diamonds of the Rough that are coming up soon uh, on lesser name prospects or guys that are a few steps away and a few tools away f- developing from being consideration. But, you know, we do try to get right about between 75 and 100 prospects individually a year um, in terms of scouting profile. So we've already reached close to 60. And, um, you know, we, I think we plan to have at least 15 more beyond that. And then that's all behind what you get with the uh, insider subscription and then all the draft content as well. And then we'll see what baseball season has to offer for us to write about. And if not, we're going to have plenty of things. Um, I am going to talk to Ohio State's Dylan Dingler, uh, as we mentioned before, and, you know, a draft prospect the Indians might be interested in, as we noted, um, there's already a piece up on Harold Cole, who I don't know if the Indians will have in their sights, but he is a kid who plays in an academy, Georgia premier Academy, which is where Daniel Spino is from. Uh, so there was a connection there and, um, it's, it's an interesting situation at that Academy and how they can do things right now. Um, you know, a school, not schools, not playing and, um, no games being played and, how the Academy works to train players. There's a really a lot of interesting backstory on that Academy and, and Harold Cole. So I encourage you to check that out as well. That's already up on the site. So look for another one with Dylan Dingler and uh, keep reading our, I hope you guys are liking the, this day in, in Indians minor league history, uh, trying to dig back through those box scores every day is, is quite a task. Let me tell you, looking through uh, not just the Indians current affiliates, but looking through every night, looking through, um, the old Kinston Indians box scores or the old uh, Buffalo Bison box scores, the old Carolina Mudcat box scores. Um, those have been really interesting and, uh, and time consuming, but I hope people are liking that. I'm, I like looking back and thinking about those guys. And we might, we might do some stories on some of the old prospects as well. If we have to, if, uh, if things go awry with the baseball plan for 2020, but hopefully we'll have some form of baseball to talk about this year. I'm hoping. So, yeah, me too. Um, and, and I'll have more stuff coming out on, on the draft uh, on the players. There'll, there'll be uh, capsules, mini capsules at, at the very least on some of these guys. Um, there'll be some write-ups on some of the undrafted free agents, the Indian sign. I'm going to do some deep diving in, in July on the uh, July 2nd international signings. So I'll get out some content on those guys. So there's plenty of content coming. Uh, we shall see where baseball takes us. Yeah, there will be many lack of coverage of any of that stuff. So if you're looking for for more prospect coverage from the draft to the current prospects to international signing period, uh, definitely definitely stay tuned on that. Uh, we're going to have a lot of coverage there. So you won't see us going quiet anytime soon uh, over at IBI on baseball coverage. So keep coming back, subscribe if you can, or you know sign up for a fan account and uh, – Start asking Willie all kinds of questions. Willie likes the draft, likes the message board. So go on there, bug him, give him something to talk about, and uh, ask him all kinds of questions. Ask him about baseball. Ask him about anything. He'll he'll jump on the message board with you and respond to anything. And like I said, I'll try to get involved when I can. I do start backup work here soon, so uh, I will won't have as much time as I've had in the last few months. But um, as things become more clear for 2020, as far as baseball is concerned, I will join the fray as much as I can and hope hopefully handle some of the questions that um, are overwhelming you because we have so many people who are interested in talking about baseball on our 
our message board. So make sure you sign up for a free account when you do that. Um, so yeah, stay, look at all that and stay tuned for more. And, uh, thank you for listening. And we will be back probably in a week or two. Uh, stay safe. Thank you.